there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. Okay, on today's Rabble Rant, we're going to talk about protest etiquette a little bit. Santiago was at an action outside of Yuck Yucks. He's going to tell us all about it, but it opens up a whole conversation on maybe folks don't know how to keep themselves safe, or perhaps there's just a little bit of nuance when it comes to one, especially the more volatile actions that seem to be occurring with more frequency. But before we get into that, I had to just jump on and complain about something a little bit. It is Ravel Rants, right? It's supposed to be cathartic for us as well. And what's kind of going, doing the rounds on Twitter. So an NDP MLA out in BC, Selena Robinson has really let her mask slip, so to speak. She's on a webinar with Benai Brith, I believe, and which is already a problematic organization that we're not going to get into. But she's talking about 1948 Palestine. She refers to it as a crappy piece of land. She understands she's like stepped in it and tries to backtrack, talking, acknowledging, oh, well, you know, there was a few thousand people there, but they hadn't really generated an economy. Now, I'm not sure what she thinks an economy is, but either way, that those comments rightfully blew up because it doesn't take a, a genius to spot that colonial mindset there. And we know that colonial mindset is what feeds into this whole Zionist project. But in Canada here, we, we see it. We know that from our history where colonialists looked at land populated by indigenous people and called it empty. Right. It was it, we are civilized, they are not, almost they are not there, right? It's called terra nullius. It, it was the way they described Africa and North and South America. And it was just a land not like they had cultivated it. And so anything not uh, that didn't resemble their world was insignificant. It was also used to justify the most horrendous parts of colonialism, right? The erasure, actual erasure of people that they never acknowledged were there in the first place. And like, this is exactly what's happening to Palestine, where a lot of the narrative is around like there never was a Palestine. OK, there was a Palestine, but it was just sand and there was no water. We had Gata on before October, you know, October 5th of last year. And she spoke of this green washing that occurs in Israel and how it's used to allow Israel to appear out so it's doing a positive thing, right? It's cultivating and colonizing the land, but from a positive viewpoint. And for this to come from a an NDP MLA out in BC, I think surprised some people, but I doubt it surprised any of our audience. And I think like there's one thing that people obviously are drawing parallels to Sarah Jama, right, where she took a position on Palestine that was right and was removed. And Selena Robinson has this take, which is so clearly racist and colonialist. And really, she's not facing much heat, it appears, from her superiors whatsoever over in, in B.C., I believe only Charlie Angus has kind of publicly come out from the NDP and said anything about her comments. So that's really problematic. But folks need to understand, like, going, why would Sarah be kicked out and Selena be allowed to stand? There's two, like, so obvious reasons. And I think I'm more upset that people are still puzzled at this point. Like, Sarah is black. And she was always a challenger to their power. She was a grassroots organizer. She spoke truth to power on the regular. 
And she was removed not because of her position on Palestine, because she dared to share it, right? And she dared to take action against Doug Ford, who was maligning her. She was independent. Selena's upholding power. She's a white woman in an institution built for her. And she's upholding the, that power with those comments. Those, those are the same, that's the same mentality that runs the BCNDP. They, because her apology that her party retweeted makes it even worse. She said, I just want to clarify. I don't have the statement in front of me. You can read it for yourself. But I didn't mean there was no people there. I meant there was really no natural resources. And so the way that they look at land is is such still a very colonial lens. Like, is there anything to extract? Well, no, then it's just a crappy piece of land. We can take it. You know, like it was just nothing about what she did made it better. And that's because that's how she thinks. And that's how a large part of the people in power actually think. They know, though, better than to say that out loud when recorded. Uh, Selena, however, did not. So she's facing some heat, but I strongly... I don't know if it's enough heat to have her removed, but surely the, the hypocrites out there are having a, a heyday trying to manage this question when we saw what happened to MP Sarah Jama, MPP Sarah Jama. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of um, mentality that comes again from the justifications that one has to make when you live in a settler colonialist society and you're in a position of power and you're seeing what's happening in the world, right? Like, this is the way that Canada keeps existing and the way that Canada exists because it's not a rare thing. It's just rare to be said out loud. They'll never be held to the same accountability um, that those of us that are trying to seek to uplift oppressed peoples will. They'll never have the same scrutiny applied to them, you know. There's a reason <laughs> why, like... And and pe people want to hold on to that notion that, you know, well, that couldn't possibly happen in, in a party like the NDP, in a party on the left, that, you know, Sarah Jama's statements were ill-timed and inflammatory, but this also must then be held accountable. You know, no, it's it's not. The, the, the rationalization that we try and make to explain these things just isn't there. There is no rationalizing this. They're telling you to your face, who they are and what they believe in. Don't try and tell the best possible version of the story. You know, we want to see the best everywhere, but that's just not the world we live in, right? And it, it, it comes back to as well, like every single person within the NDP who's sitting there quietly not condemning this, they're giving it. They're saying that this is acceptable, you know? There is no moral argument for silence right now. So that tells you everything you need to know about the whole damn system. It's just like when we talk about, you know, like when we talk about the police and it's like, you know, if there's one bad cop but no one holds them accountable, then they're all bad cops, you know? Well, and the, and in the political system, there is zero independence, Right. It's that kind of independent thinking that got Sarah removed. It's not a criticism of her. It's just the, the kind of people who would speak out without having to ask permission first aren't the kind of people who actually maintain power for very long in these systems. Right. They're admonished, they're sidelined and then removed if necessary. Uh, Charlie Angus is in a, in a particularly secure spot in his seat, and he he probably has no problem going against Jennifer Howard or Anne McGrath or whoever advises them all not to say shit about the BCNDP, no matter how bad they get. Right. So whoever's given them that order clearly has hold over all of them. But again, these people aren't like me and you, Santiago, you know, like you would not be able. Well, you're kind of quiet on Twitter. But if my phone was near me or I had the ability to kind of speak out against something like this, like the filter, the filter is not very strong with me. And but but what happens is I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there that we that heard this on her team that are horrified, either because she shouldn't be saying that out loud or, you know, maybe they're genuinely horrified that somebody that they work with thinks this way. But they aren't 
in a position to simply criticize them, even though that's their role. <laughs> even though that is supposed to be their role, especially if they're you know in opposition, it's such a team sport that you really, there's really no room for criticism ever. And so, I mean, that's always been one of our biggest gripes with the party. But I think, unfortunately, in the kind of narratives that we're swimming in with our national media, I believe, because you could tell by the apology, there's no real remorse in terms of framing Palestine as void. That wasn't the issue with her. Her clarification was on the resources and the people, but still justifying the goddamn Nakba or erasing it. And she felt okay saying that. She is still doing work with Zionist organizations during this genocide. And people are emboldened. And I work that in because this whole yuck yucks thing that we want to get into really comes from that place of emboldening. Like, if you've seen the flyer, it's a whole tour. It's a whole comedy tour to raise funds for the friends of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, the people actually carrying out the genocide right now that are fully funded, <laughs> that are already fully funded. So this isn't actually about raising money for a group. It, it, it is about flaunting it in my opinion, it's about making space to say that awful part out loud, that you can actually cheer on a genocide down on Richmond Street at at a prominent, I don't want to call them prominent now, but a well-known Toronto location. You can hold a fundraiser for a foreign army that has just been told by the world court it's committing a genocide, that it's probably committing a no, genocide. I, I mean, prominent is the right word. Um it's the largest um, comedy chain in Canada. Yuck yucks for for those who don't know. It's a it's a chain of comedy clubs, right? The and the stand up for Israel show, it was held in their 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 flagship location in Toronto, right? But yeah, this whole story. I mean, first of all, I'm I'm tired of saying the word <laughs> yuck yucks. So I'm gonna the, like I I've been living this for the last three days. Um, because I was, uh, I've been, uh, I got pulled into this because it directly involved Humber College. Um, and so I, I started doing some digging. And everywhere I turned in this story, there was another way which people in power were able to do horrible things or say horrible things, act horribly, and not be held accountable because they're people in power. Uh, and where people who are not in power are being pushed aside. Um, so the founder of Yuck Yucks, he uh, he also was the founder, um, original art, artistic director of the Humber Comedy Program, which is kind of how I got drawn into all of this. And he has a he created a partnership between that comedy club and Humber so that they perform there every Tuesday, right? And this man is uh, just a horrible, horrible figure. Um, for, uh, for one, he uh, he was a big defender of Louis C.K., the the comedian who famously uh, sexually harassed several people. Um, when nobody was booking him, he booked them and defended it by saying, you know, Louis C.K. is, is Jewish and I want to defend him for that. One of his accusers... Uh, Louis C.K.'s accusers came out and was like, I'm also Jewish, but we're not defending me, which just it, it brings it back to, to the weaponization of this whole thing. Right. And and so, and I, um, I had to be careful about what I say, because there's a decent chance someone I don't that somebody listens to this who might want to sue me for libel. So I'm going to be very careful. Um, but I, I so I, I know for a fact that. Um, people within Humber know that this individual has said uh, racist things very publicly in the past. Um, not in a comedy setting, outside of a comedy setting for those who want to, you know, try and defend the art of comedy and all of its edginess. Um, and, and he was never held accountable for any of this, right? 
Humber did not want to respond about their partnership with Yuck Yucks about whether they cancel the show. They're scheduled to go next week like nothing happens. So it seems like it it doesn't particularly matter that there's a fundraiser during a genocide. That doesn't matter. What matters is, well, this person's in a position of power here. They don't want to lose that partnership. And there's no consequences, you know? And so, but the good news is that there was a very large protest outside of the venue that successfully delayed the the show by several hours. And it really exposed, I think, a lot of the the audacity and the hate uh, from those who were there to want to attend the show. Well, can you imagine? It's one. Th- I was saying this earlier to my partner. It, it takes one thing to be a silent supporter of Zionism, to think Israel is the only way you know Jewish people can be safe. And although I really don't like what they're doing, I understand it. You know, like there, there's got to be some of those people. And then maybe there's this level of people who will tweet about it, that there's a right to defend, and they have a few catchphrases they can throw out that maybe help them sleep at night. But then it takes a next level of person to pay $55, knowing that money is going where it doesn't even need to go, and walking down Richmond fully expecting a counter-protest at this point, it has been clear that People were mobilizing against it for days prior. Their phone had been ringing off the hook. You couldn't get through even that last day on their phone line. And walk up, strutting their stuff, walking into this venue. That's boldness. That is boldness. That is kind of jarring to me. Like, I I can't imagine being that person. And it wasn't a small crowd either. It was a a decent amount of people who were there to attend the show. And... They were very willing to wait um, to go in. Like to, like I said, it, everything got delayed quite a bit. And, and they waited. And they not many of them not only waited, but they uh, confronted um, the pro-Palestinian protesters. Um, some of them, they, I mean, they were yelling very hateful things about terrorists. Uh, one guy couldn't stop yelling about UNRWA. Um, uh, which I, I find very ironic, you know, because well, we're talking about accountability here, right? And we're talking about, you know, who gets held accountable, who doesn't. And this UNRWA thing, again, seems uh well, no, they have to be held accountable because a 0.0 something percent of their staff might have been involved in October 7th. But no, don't worry about, uh, you know, I mean, this is a fundraiser for Friends of the IDF. Oh, you know, rogue agents within the IDF are the ones committing war crimes, you know. And that's okay. We still got to make sure we, we raise some funds for them, right? And they were going around hitting signs, confronting people. I mean, it really got quite heated. And, and of course, they were very buddy-buddy with the cops there. They were very comfortable engaging with, talking to the cops, laughing with the cops who were there. Of course they were, right? Because they know that they're secure in their position of power, that they're they're emboldened because they know which side the cops are on there. They know that they're there for them, not not to protect the Palestine, the pro-Palestinian protesters because not a single cop even raised an eyebrow when they were going around slapping signs, when they were screaming horrible things. You know, I'm guaranteeing the hate crime unit's not busting down everyone, anyone's door there for any of the horrible things that they were saying. No, definitely not. Oh, you know, one guy was chanting, from the river to the sea, Israel will be free. He's not going to be held accountable for that, right? No, because the rules, they don't apply the same way. And Toronto police have been extremely vocal about who they've been asked to protect, right? Olivia Chow asked them on October 8th to protect Jewish neighborhoods. She told the whole city that that was going to be a priority for the police. And she's since come out and acknowledged the acts of Islamophobia that have occurred. But 
that's it's not even like, oh, we figure they're class traders. No, it, it's it was an order from the mayor. I know she doesn't sit on the police board, but that doesn't matter. That was a public call and they have responded. We've given so many examples. So, yeah. And and I mean, this whole story, like, why does this one catch my attention? I mean, it's, it's beyond just the humber things. It's the fact that, you know, we talk about something like BDS, right? Uh, as as a tool, you know, at, at this point, you know, when there's plausible genocide, according to the ICJ, right? It's pretty reasonable, more than reasonable, to shut down a fucking fundraiser in the middle of the city, right? Like, this, this sh- should be the most obvious thing in the world. But it goes on. It went on. The show got delayed. It went on. Right. What were they laughing about? That's what like I, we're kind of getting off topic because we wanted to talk about the actual act of, of protesting and safety, too. But how do you do that? How do you line up outside of people mentioning genocide? And, you know, you've seen images like there's nobody that's completely shielded from that at this point. There can't be. And you go into a comedy club like I would need a drink. Like if I had sealed up myself to go through a counter protest, dealt with that kind of confrontation and shit. And I don't know, I'm in the mentality where I'm defending a genocide. I, I, I can understand maybe drinking <laughs> and, and congregating and, and doing whatever Zionists do when they get together, but laughing. Did anybody get in to hear what kind of jokes they were telling? Like, are they joking about the genocide? It, I, I didn't hear of anyone because I feel in. sick even thinking about that. And, and it's funny because two of the first people to arrive to watch the show. Well, not two. There was like four of them. Uh, it, it was kind of funny because so they had gotten free tickets. Somehow they had no idea. I wonder Kirk. if they had to do a lot of that just to make sure people showed up. Well, these folks, they and, and they were they were quite angry. They were like, oh, what's this going on? I'm just here for some laughs, you know. And I went up and I talked to them and, I, and they were like, you know, why is everything got to be political? You know, we're not picking sides either way. And I'm like, well, this is a fundraiser for the friends of the IDF. You know, the show itself is explicitly political. And they're like, oh, really? Fuck. You know, like. It- Manufactured consent. I wonder how many people were kind of lured, lured into this. And that, and that just reaffirms my position that it wasn't a fundraiser. It was a political statement. It was. And, and it, 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 it's a political statement from somebody who has said themselves. And, they, and when I say said themselves, when they were defending Louis C.K., they said themselves that they're big enough, uh, that they're established enough to be able to not worry about defending someone like Louis C.K. And they definitely feel like they're in, established enough to not have to worry about any blowback with with their position as the, you know, their, their chairman of the advisory board and producer in residence currently at Humber College Comedy Program. They don't have to worry about that. They don't have to worry about how it's going to affect these comedy students, right? I saw him arrive there, you know, escorted by police to the back door of his club. And I think someone asked him, you know, have you ever seen anything like this before? And he just goes, yeah. And was really smug. And it, it, it's a shame. Um Sorry to interrupt, but I I was running back and forth between the front and the back several times. I wasn't at the back when he arrived. And that was a shame because I would have loved to have asked him to have a statement and him to have in person rejected me because then I would have been able to talk about some of the things that people told me, which I'm not able to talk about until I give him the chance to speak because that's how journalism works. Um because I have some things about him that I would really like to say and not get sued for libel. Uh, but unfortunately, I will get sued for libel, so I can't say him right now. But there's some dirt on this guy. There is some dirt on this man. Um, and it, it goes pretty far back, too. But, yeah, no, he, he's, he's very comfortable in his position of power. And the protesters they were in, a, uh, the counter-protesters, were, there, were very comfortable in their position of power. Like, folks in Toronto also... Only have to think back, I think, last month or two months ago where there was a fundraiser uh, with a musical theme for Palestine, Friends of Palestine, that was getting 
bullied out of one venue after another. And there was an entire campaign around trying to get venues to stick with this show and allow them to go on. And the Horseshoe Tavern, another very prominent location in Toronto, kicked them out, you know. And so it speaks to this power imbalance that exists everywhere when we talk about Israel and Palestine, when we talk about, you know, not framing it as a war because of the imbalance that exists there. It also exists in trying to simply express yourself and assert your position. It's nothing but one barrier after another for one side and open doors for the other. And God, that pisses me off. Sorry, I wanted to throw that in there before we we go on to more upsetting matters. Yeah, well, I mean, so one thing that really captured my attention from this, though, was, I mean, for, for one, let's start with the fact that Mainstream media wanted nothing to do with this story, as always, right? Um, who was there? You know, there was a couple of uh, photojournalists that I know who are, um, you know, they pitched to independent media, stuff like The Hoser, stuff like Ricochet, you know. And who else was there? Who really dominated the narrative of this online? You had Rebel News and... Uh, Kamria and Lee I, I I fucking butcher her name every time Karima Karima and Lee I think it's Karima that's what it is I don't know and I don't care <laughs> yeah um they live stream and and uh a guy who's I forget his name but this guy has ice partner with uh, Mir Weinstein the JDL guy uh, and they if you went online while this was happening you go on Twitter and, and and you look up yuck yucks. They were dominating the coverage of this because m- media wasn't there, right? And one thing that really bothered me was that it seemed like the 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 people who were there, to prote- the pro Palestinian protesters, many people were unaware of who they were and ill prepared for what they're supposed to do when confronted with these people, right? There were people talking to Rebel News and Karima. They were falling for their tricks, you know? There were people who did not know, oh, Karima likes to dox people. You should be covering your face, right? And... I, and and I've, I felt like, you know, being who we are, it's our responsibility to make sure that that people are aware of these things. They're aware how to respond. And and they and they also like the other thing is it's our responsibility when, when we know these things and we're at a protest and we see people who are who don't know these things. It's our responsibility to inform them and to protect our fellow comrades. It's that is our job because not everyone knows and it's impossible for everybody to know right because there is an element of spontaneity here there's people who are walking by who did not know that there was going to happen and they joined in and i think that absence of mainstream media also allows them to get a lot more pull right because if you're an organizer you're desperate to get the message out there you want this action to be heard beyond the few blocks where people can actually hear and see it and so if media approach you and they say i want to tell your story you can understand the desperation that goes into especially when you're in a point of urgency like with palestine and the need to amplify as quickly as possible and i can understand how any microphone looks appealing. But I also wanted to not challenge you, but ask you for the sake of people listening. What if there is nobody there? What if like Santiago's not even there? You know, there's literally no one willing to take your statement and rebel news or other kind of paparazzi looking people show up and they want a statement from you. Do you see like no value in providing positive sound clips like relaying the demands of the action or even i i see no value in it for for anybody who isn't who hasn't made that their responsibility you know 
uh, a well-organized protest will have a media liaison. If there's an organization involved, they're going to have somebody who it, it's their job to speak to media. And if they want to tell Rebel News, you know, here this, this, and this in a way that they cannot cut together to mean anything other than what it means, okay, maybe. And that's a big maybe because, I, you know, at the end of the day, I still think it's dangerous. Well, that's an important point to make for folks that are listening. So when we say media liaison, whenever you do something, even when it's small, you're going to wear multiple hats. But there should be somebody who's designated to be a media liaison and a police liaison. And outside of those people, you don't talk to anybody outside your movement. You don't engage with counter protesters. You don't release statements about the purpose of the action if you didn't organize it, because it's that messaging is important. Organizers put a lot of time. There's a lot at risk in terms of misrepresenting actions and it, it getting blown up that way. And so it, you owe it to the people who put the work into this and the people who have most at stake on what that messaging is to defer to them. And so what I would suggest to people is if you get media and you like don't have to be rude, point them to a marshal, point them to somebody who seems to be in charge. And if they don't have time for them, then they can always get back to them later. You know, organizers can be quite busy and caught up, especially if there's a lot of confrontation going around. But you don't need to make a statement that way. You can you can amplify yourself on your own channels and friendly channels if you need to do that. But I side with Santiago on this, but I think like some people are very starved for any kind of amplification. And that's yeah. tough if nobody's showing I, I, up. And, and But I mean, there's also people who are not media who will be documenting this. You know, there's always going to be somebody on our side who's tweeting about this, who's taking videos. You know, there's always somebody. Always. There should be. Right? Like, because, like, I'm going to just pepper this shit with tips because, folks, if if police are moving in on you, someone needs to get out of camera. Someone needs to know that it's their responsibility to document as well because everyone has a role, right? Your hands may not be free. You may not want to be in that position of documenting police or agitators, but somebody should. And especially when you your spidey senses go off. Do not wait until the cops are pushing and shoving when they move in, when they are proximity, when they are engaging with you in any way, even if that's verbally, because you aren't talking back to them, though, because you aren't the police liaison, but you are documenting this kind of behavior. Yeah. And and I think it's just generally like the rule I would say is don't talk to media that you don't know. And I say that because like, you know, I'm going to be going to these things. I'm going to want, just want exclusive rights. No, but what I'm saying is, if you don't know me, like, like people were saying, you know, oh, we don't talk to media. It's like, yeah, cool. I completely get that. And that's the right answer, right? Somebody there, I'm going to know somebody there who's going to vouch for me. And then you can talk to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not looking for people to talk to me without being vouched for first. Because I know that you shouldn't be talking. You know, and like one guy there... I remember there was there was a moment he, he comes and I, I didn't because there were counter protesters like I, I wasn't sure if he was I, I like just the scenario because I had been kind of like turned around I didn't know which side he was on and he was kind of like asking me oh you're a media what what like what outlet are you with I'm like I'm, well, I'm with Humber News and he's like yeah what 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 angle are you trying to and somebody who knows me come up came up to him and he said no 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 uh, Santiago he's on our side don't worry. Yeah, and he's like, oh, sorry, you know, there's so many infiltrators, there's so many things, I, w- I just have to make sure. But, you know, that's what's going to happen, right? Absolutely, police will do that too, not just like poor media or whatever those folks are calling themselves. But police will often walk amongst actions and try to strike up conversations and sometimes obtain next steps or maybe personal information. They'll try to appear like, one of you and like I hate to say all these things and have people walk into these spaces just absolutely wary of anybody but you can quickly like these were networks that brought this together it's very rare that you'll have somebody that nobody else knows and that's not to like single out that new person from showing up when they might not know anybody but these precautions are are necessary now because the level of doxing, so doxing, we're throwing out a term, assuming everyone knows what that means, but I had some older folks look at me earlier like they did not. So 
it's when your personal information is made public. And it's usually like as much identifying information as possible so that folks can then continue harassing you in places you didn't intend to be harassed. So beyond your Twitter handle. So some of the people that show up to these events and Santiago has mentioned them already, they actively provide their footage to Toronto police. They have admitted as such online. And so when you see our last episode where people are being charged for simply putting posters on glass windows, you do not want them knowing who you are. Because you may be saying, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm simply blocking a walkway. But you have people out there framing what you're doing as terrorism. So you don't know. And you heard a 24-year-old end up on curfew for doing something that she was convinced was perfectly legal. And really, most people have not thought twice about throwing up a poster places and thinking that they would end up fingerprinted and with bail restrictions put on them. You know, and so like in our very first episode, We Keep Us Safe, that's an important episode to go back and listen to. But it's also not just about keeping you safe. It's about keeping the people around you safe at the same time. So when you engage with them and you give them fodder, uh, they they use this and they don't use this in any positive way for your movement. No. And, um, you know, something just occurred to me, you know, that's not in the show notes. I was just talking to a professor of mine um, that uh, they were a, a crime reporter for many years. Uh, nobody knows uh, how the police work inside out more than him. And that and that, this conversation was yesterday. And the things he was telling me scared me, to be honest, because I realized that we're a lot more fucked than we realize sometimes when it comes to technology. So he was telling me about... You know, first of all, we're, we're all under the impression that things like Signal, we chat on Signal, that's safe. What he told me, he's like, no, 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 no. They they got all of that. They have everything. Encrypted means nothing to them. You know, these secure channels means nothing to them. So I'd say, like, first of all, like, I'm not saying don't use Signal. Definitely use, Signal is more secure than something like Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, stuff like that, you know. But don't, do not assume that stuff like Signal give you blanket protection because they don't. Um, stuff like having your, I mean, you should be turning off your location services when you're going to a protest because they got you if you don't. They know you're there. You should also be locking your phone, not with a fingerprint, but with a passcode. It makes it more difficult for the police to get into your phone, which they will most likely try to do if they seize it. And at some point, I'm just, I'm going to run through some real like safety tips, but I can't say this enough. Don't talk to cops. Don't Do not talk, to, talk cops. to cops. Not at any point. The only time you talk to a cop is if you appear to be detained. Okay. If they appear to be stopping you from going where you need to go. And they can do this in many ways. I mean, they might have hands on you or they might kettle you. They may use their bike. They may just use sheer lines of force and intimidation. Either way, if you feel like you're being detained and you want to leave, you can you can ask, am I being detained? You can ask why, if they say yes, why are you being detained? Now, folks, cops in Canada can detain you without arresting you. Now, they still need reasonable grounds you are connected to a crime, but, but hear those words, reasonable grounds that you're connected to a crime. So they're very broad. <laughs> okay, it's very, very broad. And the best advice that I've seen, although we hate cops, is like you do not resist that. Knowing your rights and expecting them to be upheld in the moment are completely two different things. You don't have to consent to a search, but you don't fight a search. You may not have any reasonable grounds for arrest, but resisting arrest is a charge in itself. However, when you ask these things of the police in the moment, 
that does become part of the process, right? It's part of the evidence moving forward. But there's not much, unfortunately, that you can do once they've decided to detain and arrest you other than shut up. You have to give your name, your address, and your date of birth. You do not have to give them anything else. They will try all kinds of tricks. They will try to get you to agree to conditions. They will try to tell you that they know you didn't do anything wrong. They simply are gathering information. They will pretend to be very friendly with you because they have been trained to do this in order to extract information. And I think one of the most troubling things that came out of the last episode was how many times the guests told me that the cops were actually nice to them. I wanted to chastise them in the moment. I don't know if I did, but I was just like, no, they're not. Their existence in front of you in this moment tells you all you need to know about them. They are not individuals. Do not see them as such when they are in that uniform. You need to treat them all based on what their occupation is because they are part of a legal system. That has ramifications for you. And to, to, to keep building on this, if you do get detained, if you get arrested, there are there is only one word at that point, one word, singular, that you should talk, say to a cop. One. Lawyer. That's it. Lawyer. You do not tell them. Once you're de- they're going to say, you know, oh, don't complicate this. You know, you're just going to make it more difficult. Lawyer. No, they are going to cast light the fuck out of you. But a lawyer will never make it more difficult for you. And it will always be to your benefit. They are going to offer things to you. They're going to make it seem like if you agree to these conditions, you get out easier, done. We don't got to go through the whole thing. If you go through the whole thing, you're just going to end up more lawyer. That's it. Because they're looking to manipulate, to gaslight you, to take advantage of you. So, folks, like, I know not everybody on here has a lawyer on retention. Well, hopefully not. You know, hopefully that's not necessary. But before you go to protests, it's a good idea that somebody knows where you're going. Somebody that's not coming with you, right? They know where you're going and that it might be volatile. They roughly know when to expect you back. And it's quite likely that they are the person that you're going to call. You don't just get one phone call. They're allowed, you're, you're allowed to make multiple phone calls until you can reach a lawyer. But if you can designate somebody that's capable, that could get a lawyer for you, that should be the same person whose phone number you memorize before going out. And I hate for, again, I feel like i got to reiterate this over and over again. I hate for anybody out there who's like, maybe you've never been to a protest and you're hearing this and it's like, that sounds really scary. That sounds like more than I signed up for. It's like knowing just what to do in any kind of emergency, though. You know what to do in a house fire. They teach you when you're really little. You don't hopefully start looking at your house as just this death trap. (laughs) Invasive thoughts might win. But, you know, like it's you are so much safer just knowing your rights and knowing some pieces of mitigation to prevent you from getting into to more trouble or the trouble spreading. And 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 the other thing is. When you're at a protest, this is no longer just about you, right? Your actions, if one, in, if one individual at a protest starts throwing punches, the cops shut, are going to shut down everyone. You know what I mean? If, if one person does something, the consequences are felt by everybody, right? So, so that's the other thing is that you, you have a responsibility, one, to protect yourself Two, to protect your fellow comrades. And by protecting yourself, you're also protecting your fellow comrades, right? So those two things go hand in hand. With that same mentality, though, you protect the movement. And what I mean is it might not just be violence that spoils an action. A violence will spoil an action, right? No matter all the stuff that you've had planned, that's the only thing anybody will ever remember. And it'll be used to condemn. I understand stuff happens, but it should be avoided. But... You ever see those signs that make you cringe? Get them to take it down. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, go find a marshal. I'll get into marshals in a second because I can't leave without talking about marshals. And get an organizer. Get somebody who looks like they won't have any problem asking that person to take that sign down. Because it just takes one bad photograph of one sign that that could literally tinge the entire movement that you are building. 
especially if it already feeds into some bullshit narrative being sold about your movement. That might not even be an ally. That could literally be a shit disturber that has walked in with a sign that wants to take the photograph, but let it be known that you guys shut that shit down. Even if they get their pick and they blast it up, somebody also get documentation of that person being escorted the fuck out of there because you don't make any space for racist, xenophobic, you know, all the kind of isms that are out there, you know, spot it and shut it down. This goes back to what we were saying earlier on in the episode. We're not held to account. Like we're not held to the same standards that other people are held. We're held to much, much higher standards. We cannot, we're, we're not giving any room for any of this. Right. So, so, and, and the other thing is, you know, there, like, people might laugh, like, oh, you know, about infiltrated people and stuff. And it happens. It does happen. It happens very, very often. We know it happens. It's not some fucking conspiracy theory. It's, textbook. I would say the people you're talking about with those red hats are infiltrators. They may not have been brought by anybody. Like, it's not like a, it's not like something that's been arranged. It's generally they work their way in, appear like friends and comrades to a degree or legitimate media. I know you don't like when I use that term, but and then they betray. Right. When you hand footage over to the cops so people can be investigated for like bullshit. Anything. Anytime you hand over to the cops, I, I see you as an enemy. <laughs> Yeah, look, it was shocking to me how many people did not know these uh, two individuals with the red hats, one of whom likes to, they record on their phone and they're very pushy, you can't miss them. The other one has red glasses. You you can't miss these two. They They love to dox people. They're going to put as much information about people out there as possible because they want to get you in trouble with your work, with whatever. They want you to feel like you're in danger. And they and they're very pushy about it too, and and the other thing is you know like um like even beyond those two assholes, you know when it, when it comes to the counter protesters there you know a lot of people they want to engage because it, these people are saying horrible things, and you know I love a good debate I love a good debate I love to just you know I know somebody has all of these hor like the weak ass arguments and I can tear it into fucking shreds that's not the time nor the place it's not the time nor the place. You are presenting a united front. When you do that, it puts everybody else at risk. You got to hold the line and stay united. Because one, you risk things escalating. You risk not every, like you risk things being uh, cut together out of context and strengthening their arguments, right? You, you. You're putting a, a, a level of risk that's just it's not worth it because you're not going to change their fucking mind at a protest. And you are giving your energy to them. You are not giving your energy to your people. Right. Keep your focus on your people. They need your energy. They need you chanting. They need you looking at each other, connecting. You need to pay attention. Right. You need to pay attention to marshals, to the organizers, if they need you to move, if they need you to form a line, if they need you to respond in any which way. Your focus for safety reasons, for optics, all kinds needs to be on your own people. And that should be easy. Plus, you're there with a buddy. Right. Another safety tip. <laughs> buddy system is not just for kindergarten. Even if you can't show up at a protest with someone, I know that that sometimes it's spontaneous. You just got to go. We've all had that pull. And maybe you just haven't made a connection with anybody yet on this issue. So you go by yourself. Try to make a friend. And I know that's really hard because we just warned people about infiltrators, <laughs> right? Because you're like, what do you mean? You said not to talk to anybody you don't know, but you'll feel it out, okay? And you need to not leave alone, okay? You go in... You're accountable to the people around you and let it be specific people as well, right? So that maybe not just one, maybe there's a group of you. You all know that you're leaving together. You all stay in proximity, eyes on one another, and you don't stray. Here's an example of why that's important, right? Um, you know, back in, uh, I don't remember what year, a couple years ago, 
protests outside of John Tory's house, Skylar Williams, who we've had on the show before, you know, he gave a speech. Yeah, you know, he was there as a speaker. He left alone. What happened? They tossed him in an unmarked van and took him to a precinct, uh, you know, Division 14. And people had to go and counter-protest. And that was a calculated move so that they could release the names of people that they wanted to arrest from a previous protest who they figured would go there to protest for his release. Do not leave alone. They're not going to... They know the strength in numbers. They know the cameras are on them. They're not... If, if something happens, they're not waiting to arrest you at the act. They're waiting to arrest you when you leave alone. Do not leave alone. And, you know, buddy system... It like I've been to a lot of these things. It's a social event. People are talking to each other. You already got a lot in common if you're there. It's fairly easy to... To, to make friends there even and 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 that like that's the other thing is that like it's important to make friends at protests we're strengthening our communities we're strengthening our cause we're building like that the community and that's an important thing and um just gonna keep going because i know we're, we're, we're getting out of time you know the other thing is one it's not about you you want to amplify the voices of the people most affected one and if you're someone, for example, who's white, you also want to use that privilege to protect the most vulnerable. The people who have the most privilege need to they need to be the ones protecting the ones who are the most disadvantaged. Because they're gonna go after them. They're gonna go after marginalized people. Both counter protesters and police are more likely to tar- target racialized folks. Let me give you a quick example on what that means. That could mean a physical barrier sometimes, right? That could mean making them the police liaison because of the treatment that they'll likely receive. Yes, that is, sounds fucking horrible, but it's using our reality to best protect the entire community. So Workers Action Center had a call out for people to attend the Ontario legislature. The point was to be a little bit disruptive as they passed a horrible bill against workers. And the organizers asked for white folks to form the perimeter of the seating block. So we maybe took up three rows, 10 of us in each row. And the first people that security would have to get to would be the first in the seating line, right? And so we tried to make those people the buffer. They're less likely to have hands on. They're less likely to arrest white folks. So you use your whiteness and any kind of other privilege that you might have there. But you know, in that moment, whiteness is what it is. They don't know your class. They don't know your 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 gender and and all of that as much as they they know that you're white. And that is the reality. That that's how police fucking respond. I talked a lot about marshals, though, and I just want to just give a few tips. This might sound like a, a webinar at some point, but I think the more we talk about getting people into the street, and Santiago made a, a point. There's there's things you got to do, and and I feel responsible for sharing them with you if I know it. And uh, perhaps folks can contact us with better tips. Maybe we can start a whole thread again. But if you're holding an action, you need marshals. When I say action, I mean like you are going to disrupt anything for any reason. This is a march. This is a rally. In particular, if it's on a contentious uh, subject, which right now would definitely be pro-Palestine or anything to do with the LGBTQ community because they are generating counter-protesters. Uh, also police, but you need to have marshals who are clearly marked, right? High vests, maybe they're all wearing the same color. If you don't have vests, sometimes it's just tape on the arm, right? You bring a, a roll of colored tape, red, blue, not not something black that, that will blend in. And so everyone around knows that these people are in charge. These people know where we're going. These people know what a possible second rally point would be if we got dispersed. They have information on if there's a first aid person, all kinds of things. And then the marshals should be your physical barriers. They are between you and cars Sometimes a marshal in the good old days, <laughs> marshals really just had to make sure you didn't stray into the wrong lane of traffic. You had a permit for one side of the road. Marshals made sure we only took up a lane. 
You make sure people don't spill out onto the sidewalk or the road where they might get charged or hurt. But now marshals sometimes are literally the people that don't follow any of the other advice that I've given other than like not to really engage. But your focus is actually on the threat. You your back is to the people you're trying to protect and you are unfortunately taking that onslaught. The horrible things that Santiago is talking about, people screaming, that is for you to take on. So marshalling maybe isn't for everybody, but you cannot responsibly hold actions like the ones that we have described many times here without having people that are willing to take some of these tasks on, right? As well as documenting. Yeah, marshals are important. You also, you should have a medic and some basic supplies, because almost every action I've ever been to has had at least one person who has needed a medic for some reason or another. Every, like, this is pretty consistent. So it's important to have that. You know, in the wintertime, you should have hand warmers. You know, I, I felt bad. Like, even, like, go to Dollarama, stock up on those really cheap gloves, like the, the thin ones. Because the amount of people I saw holding up signs barehanded in the freezing cold, I, I, I was like, no, 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 come on now. You know? As a kid, my dad would always stop off at when we would go to protest. This is what I did when I was younger. We would always stop off at like a Canadian tire and grab a whole box of the hand warmers and a case of water, you know, back when we used plastic bottles. I'm so sorry. And we would, you know, because we were kind of well off, like we were we were middle class for sure. So if we couldn't help organize it, he was damn sure going to make sure that like people stayed warm or, you know, you can bring snacks for people. It really should be a community thing and you don't need to be an organizer to come prepared like that with kind of extras if you ever raved we know this right you always showed up with an extra chapstick an extra pack of smokes maybe all kinds of uh, kind the of pack things of that... smokes is valid that's valid <laughs> i don't even smoke anymore but you know you, you come prepared to to make sure that there's nobody wanting for anything right so everyone kind of comes out of it with a, a decent experience but there's also things you got to do before you even go that are mostly to protect you, uh, but also the people you're around. You know, you don't have to tell everyone you're going where you're going. Although when I have a Facebook event, it's very helpful that everyone marks that they're going or interested. You know, there's amplification that happens when you brag about the fact that you're going to a march. But perhaps you're in a precarious employment situation. You don't actually have to tell people you're going and you can conceal yourself when you're there. In fact, you should be wearing a mask because COVID is still a reality. So you're protecting your community that way. But covering your face is kind of the new reality now when you're out there. Uh, you may not think you're doing something illegal, but do you want massive amounts of people flooding your social media or perhaps finding out where you work? It, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It means you understand the realities around you now. Right. So don't carry your wallet. You don't need it. Just a couple bucks, your phone and memorize a phone number, which would be and really ID. hard for me. I'd be one of the Wait, people with it ID? on my arm. What? Do we bring ID? No, you don't need ID. You don't bring ID. You don't need ID. You know your name, your date of birth and your address. And you just can give that to the police. You Unless you're driving a vehicle or you're on a bicycle. Even on a bicycle, you don't need ID, but you do have to require to give them information, even if they've detained you. But if you're in a car, you do need ID. You will have to provide it. So if you're in a car rally or something like that, you know, your driver, you have a different set of rights. You have a fewer set of rights there. But as a uh, person walking around, you absolutely don't need to have ID on you. And in fact, you, you really shouldn't. And make sure. And, and here's one that like I, I needed to know last weekend. The dress warmly part of it. I put dress, that in there for you. <laughs> dress a little warmer than you think because it's easy to underestimate when you're having to stand outside for five hours just how cold you're going to feel. And it might not be too bad right now, but the sun goes down because you've been there so long and it gets chilly. So dress warm, a, a little bit warmer than usual. And comfortably you know, don't worry about looking fly. Keep You want to be able to be non-identifiable as well. So don't wear your custom hat that you use to troll people. Don't wear things that are just going to make you super easy to pick out in a crowd. That's not the idea. Like black block is a tactic that we've talked about before. It's the act of just wearing all black. It's not even necessarily a political statement. It's so you can't really identify one protester from another. Comfy shoes, man. I see people going to heel in heels. You need to be able to run. 
Also, pro tip, and I really need people to do this. If you are filming on your phone, do not film vertically. Take your phone, turn your hand 45 degrees, and film horizontally. Please, for the love of God, film horizontally. It is sim- it's going to get more. You're going to see more. It is better. <laughs> like, then you have to uh, crop like, it for Insta. You got to crop it, we crop it, you know, but film horizontally. Like you do not need the vertical plane. You need the horizontal plane because it captures more. I like that. The amount of shaky vertical footage. I can't please horizontal. Okay. For Santiago's sake. And for, if you are documenting for the purpose of documenting, definitely, definitely. Another uh, tip I read while I was trying to refresh my memory here for this is contact lenses. I can't wear them. My eyes are too dry, but if you, if there's ever tear gas or pepper spray used, they are really going to be a problem. So if you have worn them, you'll have to take them out if that occurs uh, for your safety, but maybe just don't wear them in the first place. Charge that phone. (laughs) I mean, especially if you've been told that you're the person that's going to have to film in the cold for a few hours. I don't know if you got a battery pack, but don't don't forget to charge your phone even just for kind of an individual safety reason, for crying out loud. I mean, it makes me nervous when my phone battery gets low. Yeah, no. And we don't always know that a protest is going to happen. So sometimes, you know, you can't prepare for all of these. But, but it's important to try and get as many as possible. And, you know... Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there, you know, in terms of the letting someone know, like, if if you're in Toronto, you know, my, my DMs are open on Twitter, like, and, and you don't know who to message, you know, or you're nervous, send me a DM, either I'll take care of it, or I'll send it to someone else who is trusted to take care of it, you know, but we're we're here to help with these things too, you know, you, if you're worried about something, you can reach out to us directly, we're here to help with these things. Like, this is what we do. If you're not on Twitter, you can also email us at bpofdisruption at gmail.com. Our show notes have ways to get in touch with us as well. Yeah. And, like, I know all of this is sounding scary. 99% of the time, you're going to be, like, nothing's going to happen. You know, most protests I've ever been to, pretty chill. You know, good times, good vibes. But every now and then the pepper spray comes out, you know, (laughs) or the cops get violent or shit goes down. And, you know, sometimes I got to be honest, I can't even tell when that's going to happen. Sometimes I'm certain shit's going to go down and doesn't go down. Sometimes I think nothing's going to go down and shit goes down, you know, like it's hard even when you've done these things to know. Right. So just be prepared. And if you're if you're concerned for your safety. You don't have to be there when shit goes down. That's the other thing. Like. Yes. So like protests sometimes I want to bring my kids. My kids don't deal well with crowds. So I generally don't. But I have. And we've talked about this on the show, too. But if you are there and your spidey senses tingle or perhaps there's been a decision made to escalate the situation. Please remove the children. (laughs) Please don't use them. As some sort of buffer, we saw uh, the convoy protesters do this at the border protests in particular. They line their children up, kind of daring the police. And yeah, that's not good. And you absolutely, even as an individual without children, you owe no level of anxiety or panic or injury to anything. We want you to be able to fight another day. And that means knowing your own boundaries as well, right? So we do push people to be disruptive, to kind of push the envelope when they can, but with the understanding that not everybody, not all the time. No, yeah. If shit goes down, there's those of us who are down to get arrested, you know? There are people who, like, they're going to put their body on the front line because they know that they're they're willing to 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 take that hit to make sure someone else doesn't right you don't have to be that person if you're not comfortable with that you know um another thing and this is i i can't count the amount of times i see there's an action and people are tweeting about it and they go ahead and they tag every mainstream media outlet on twitter for attention right they want them to send someone they're not going to send someone 
Okay. Like the protests at, at Yuck Yucks, um, a photojournalist I know there, he he pitched it to Globe and Mail. He pitched it to Toronto Star. They told him they're not interested. This was a heated protest. This was a protest that was different than the other ones that had been happening in the same areas. And they were not interested at all. They're not going to send someone. You want to tag someone? Tag me. Tag Jessa. Tag Blueprints of Disruption. Tag The Grind. Tag The Hoser. Tag Maple. Tag Rabble. You know, get your, get your list of independent media outlets. Tag them. And somebody, hopefully, will be in the vicinity and will be able to go there. You know, there, there are those of us who are trying to run out to these things. Mainstream media, 9 out of 10 times, they're not going to show up. They're not going to show up. So, that, please, like, I, I want to see. And, and, and the other thing is, you know, even if, you know, beforehand, tag us anyways. You know, I want to know when these things are going on, you know. We'll, we'll amplify things, you know. That's so, what we do. That's what yeah, we do. This, this is what we're here for. So, yeah, we, like, in whatever way that we can help, let us know, you know. And... There's always there's always people. We're like that's a great part about these things is that we're far from being alone. You know, our power is together. Our power is in community. And there's always people who have been doing this for a long time who can help. You know, there's always people, and they're looking to teach others. They're looking to help others. They're looking to protect others. So like we're far from being alone here. And it's it's a beautiful thing, and it's what makes it different, you know? That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo... Please share our content, and if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.